Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to the show. I have Jay Spillers here today. He is the author of Heaven, Truth, and Meditation for Everyone. He is a near-death experience expert. He's been a Uh, researching it since he was a child and had a childhood interest in it and um, Jay is going to share today a story about a visitation he had from his father in his dream state and also we're going to talk a little bit more about near-death experiences. Welcome to the show Jay. Hi thanks for having me I'm glad to be here. Yeah in terms of the experience I had with uh, my father, he had passed away in May of 2010. And it was about a month later that I had a visitation dream where he came to me and he looked probably about 20 years younger than he did when he passed. And he was wearing a a sweater that I remember he had at that time, probably in the nineties. And he, I, I just remember seeing him and the dream felt so real. It felt as real as when I'm awake. And before the dream concluded, I asked him, I said, so what is it like to be in heaven and to be with God and with Christ? And he said, it's wonderful. And he whispered it in my right ear. And it just sort of sent like this euphoric wave through me. I felt this energy just run through me and then I woke up and that experience really stuck with me. It's, and I've read other things too online that says it's common for visitation dreams to happen about a month after someone's passing, you know, there's no hard fast rule and that it's common for the dream to feel more, uh, more vivid than a normal dream. And while I was in the dream, I knew that he had passed and I knew that I was in a dream, but it felt, uh, it felt as real as when I'm awake. So it was, it was a lucid dream. And so that was a dream that I had with, with my dad. And I did put that in my book, uh, Heaven's Truth. And what got me interested in the near-death experience initially was in 1983, uh, I was watching this program called That's Incredible. And they were talking about near-death experiences and people that went to heaven and saw God and saw Christ and all these different things. And I was like, wow. Because what I believe by faith, because I was a Christian, these people had experienced um, personally. And it was people that were alive today that were, you know, that, that I could see and hear you know, not something that I'm reading about 
a couple thousand years ago. So I thought, wow, I'm going to call a Christian radio station and see what he thinks. This was back in 83. And so I called the Bible Answer Man with Walter Martin. And I put a little tape recorder up to the radio and I recorded it and I asked him and he was very dismissive and kind of poo-pooed the idea. And I felt kind of dejected. So I kind of put the near-death experience on the back burner for several years. And then in 97, I started to have doubts in my faith. I started to question things like, well, what about hell? And it seems like, you know, for most Christians, uh, 95% of the population seems like they're going to hell. They never give a statistic or anything, but that's what it felt like. I'm thinking, well, what about this? And then I started studying the near-death experience, and it started to um, alleviate some of those doubts and give me some answers and a perspective on the scriptures that maybe I hadn't seen in terms of hell. And it actually verified the scriptures because I would read, you know, someone's experience, what they saw or what they felt or experienced, and I could see, well, that parallels with the Bible on this, and that parallels with the Bible on that. So from 97 on, I uh, was starting to extensively study the near-death experience. I read over a dozen books. I've watched hundreds of videos. I've, I've read different articles where people were talking about their NDE, belong to different email list groups and different groups online that were talking about the near-death experience. And, and it was in 2010 when my father passed that my interest grew even more. And a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted, really wanted to go into writing. I had, had had a desire to write a book for a long time, but it was in 2019 that I really felt a, a strong desire to start writing. So I wrote my book, Heaven's Truth, and it came out in March of 2020. And then I wrote another book on meditation. And it just sort of went from there. But yeah, I've had an interest in both the Bible and the near-death experience for quite some time. I had been a Christian since 1981, a couple of years before I saw the program on the near-death experience. So I'd sort of been studying a lot of these things all along. So what does the Bible say about near-death experiences? Well, I covered what I considered two near-death experiences in the Bible. The first one is the resurrection itself. And I say the resurrection because Jesus died. And we know from various scriptures that he was uh, conscious and he was active on the other side. Because it talks about he descended into Hades and uh, he set the prisoners free that were imprisoned. And he also gave gifts to Ben. And so he was, he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So he was active on the other side and conscious. And then he came back to life three days later. Obviously, the resurrection is highly unique. And as Christians, we would believe that he didn't die again. He just ascended to heaven, but he died, was conscious, and then came back to life. So it, it class, qualifies as a near-death experience. My second one was the Apostle Paul, where he talks about in 2 Corinthians, I believe chapter 12, he says, I know a man 
uh, 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, who ascended into paradise and who saw uh, things which are unlawful to speak of and heard unutterable words, and he was taken to the third heaven. And what we see there with the Apostle Paul is that when it says he, he, it's unlawful to speak of, it could be translated, it's impossible to speak of. And this is very common with near-death experiencers, that what they see on the other side is so wonderful and so, so beautiful that it's hard to put into words and describe their experience. Mm-hmm. And then with the inaudible words, it was words that were not heard or spoken with the mouth. And it sounds a lot like telepathy. And this is a very common thing with near-death experiences that they, they have mind-to-mind communication with God or with other people on the other side. And that Paul probably died when he was stoned at Lystra in the book of Acts. It says that they stoned him, dragged him out of the city, and he was taken for dead. So that's probably when he had his near-death experience. And the Apostle Paul, before his NDE, had a spiritually transformative experience uh, during his conversion. And the difference between a, a STE and an NDE is that uh, with a spiritually transformative experience, you don't die. You can experience a lot of the same things as an NDE, but you don't die. And during that experience, he saw Christ. He saw the bright light. He was transformed. He was given a mission. He experienced a miracle because his eyes were blinded and then they're restored later. He actually had a shared experience with his companions, partially, who saw a light but didn't see Christ, who heard a sound but didn't hear the words. And that may have been telepathy again. But all of these themes that you see in his conversion are things you see in the near-death experience. You see transformation. You see the bright light of Christ or God. You see a mission. You see miracles sometimes follow, like Paul's receiving his sight. You see a shared experience because there's now uh, a lot of shared near-death experiences where people who are in the room uh, see and hear things as a person is passing on their deathbed. So there's a lot of themes there. And when you have a near-death experience or a spiritually transformative experience, I believe it sort of opens you up to other experiences. It's sort of like a, a portal is open to you. Your, your spirit is opened to spiritual things. And this is why a lot of times you'll read people that have had three or four near-death experiences, or they've had a spiritually transformative experience and a near-death experience. And so that's what I, I showed in the Bible. And I also went into various spiritually transformative experiences that people had in the scriptures, um, like the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, Stephen's deathbed vision of Christ. And I covered all those things uh, to show what the Bible said about the near-death experience and, S- and spiritually transformed experiences. And, what has and been then people's... I also paralleled that with reaction. What has been people's uh, response to the book? What have they said, you know, 
have they been curious about it? Have they been surprised about it? What kind of reaction have you gotten so far? I think most of the reaction has been fairly positive. I've gotten a few reviews where he says, well, it filled in the gaps for me that I was trying to piece together my faith with this experience. And so a lot of people said it filled in the gaps for me. It made sense. It kind of brought it both together, you know, because even though there's a lot of parallel between the two, sometimes you'll have Christians that'll see a near-death experience and be wondering, well, why are all these people having heavenly experiences? And I sort of get into that in my book. Um, I say one thing that you have to remember with the NDE is that I don't believe the silver cord is broken. And a lot of people during their near-death experience have seen the silver cord. And this this is why they're able to get back in their body because they haven't 100% died in that sense. Mm -hmm. Their brain waves have stopped, their heart has stopped, but they're still connected to this world. And obviously in the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about severing the uh, silver cord. And because the cord isn't broke, uh, what you may be experiencing is people going into the light and effectively being transformed in God at that time. Because the Bible says you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Well, I said, it appears that they're having their born again, they're born of the spirit moment, possibly right there in the light. And that has sort of resonated with a lot of people. And I remember one woman who had a near-death experience, she said, I understand what Christians mean when they talk about being reborn, because I felt like I was reborn in the light, I was totally immersed in complete love, peace, joy, and I embraced it back, you know, so it's, it's a born again experience for many people right there in the light. So that would explain why, you know, you might have an atheist that has a heavenly experience. He's, he or she is being born in the light, you could argue. Uh, it's almost like when you spend time in that light energy that loving source energy it transforms them it it awakens them and it reminds them of their true source and their true divine self and they'll uh, they're able to remember that and bring it back when they come back to their body yeah and i i go into uh, the fact that many near-death experiences are totally transformed when they come back. They come back more loving and kind. They're free of a lot of um, things that bound them before, like greed or addictions and different things like that. And this is similar to what a lot of Christians uh, strive for with the born-again experience, that you'd be totally transformed, you'd become a new creation everything would be new. And, you know, you'll see in, uh, with a lot of Christians, uh, you can find different programs and whatever, where I was a drug addict and I was a criminal. And then I came to Christ and my life was forever changed. And the near-death experience, the transformation that a lot of those people experience sort of runs parallel to those kind of conversion experiences. So again, it kind of supports the idea that they're born of 
the spirit right there in the light. And there's a radical transformation that mm-hmm. takes place. And that kind of argues against the idea that, oh, well, this is just a hallucination or this is some kind of trick of Satan. Um, because they are transformed, they manifest things like the fruits of the spirit, you know, which I love, joy, peace, and patience. And so it doesn't really make sense to, to see this as a trick of Satan or to see it as a hallucination because it's a radical transformation that occurs right. for many of these indie ears. Um, I, you did mention that, you know, you grew up as a Christian and when you first started researching NDEs, you thought maybe 95% of people were going to hell. How has that changed? Do you still feel that way? Or where do you think most of us are going when we transition out of this physical world? I think that all or the vast majority will eventually go into the light that probably for the vast majority, if you haven't embraced the light in this lifetime, to some extent, you're going to probably embrace it right at your light, you know, just before your life review, before the civil courts broke anyway. But I do believe even people that have descended into hell and maybe the, the silver cord is totally broken, that they will probably, most, if not all of them, will eventually find their way into the light. And that's actually consistent with what the Bible says, because Jesus went and preached to the disobedient spirits in the days of Noah um, during his NDE, if you will. And we would assume a lot of them were brought up. So I do, I do support the idea of free will that, you know, it's theoretically possible that someone could totally, completely reject the light and say, I'm going in darkness, I'm not coming out. That's theoretically possible. I think eventually the darkness would break you down and you'd be absorbed back into the light anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think the vast majority of people, if not everyone, will embrace the light and go into the light at some point. So I I guess it's sort of close to an absolute universalism, but not completely, because I do leave open concept of free will. But in any case, you know, most, if not all, will be saved. Mm -hmm. And some, some will be confused. Some people don't realize they're dead. You know, they, they're too attached to the earth or, you know, their house or their family and may not choose to transition right away. But hopefully everybody gets there eventually, right? Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the NDE, I I haven't seen a near-death experience where someone says the light was there and I was feeling unconditional love and peace, but I rejected it and wanted to move away. I haven't seen that near-death experience. There might have been someone that had an NDE that they did that, but I haven't read or heard of an NDE where that happened. So it seems like virtually everybody, you know, embraces the unconditional love and peace when it's there, you know. And I think sometimes hell, this was another NDE 
by Angie who committed suicide and descended into hell and then God and Jesus rescued her out but she was told that hell functions more like a purgatory that it's more of a place for remedial learning and to kind of give you a wake-up call and so I think sometimes people have hellish NDEs and it's more of a wake-up call for them because God can use whatever whatever he needs to use to sort of help push us in the right direction. It might just be showering us with pure love and peace right off the bat. It might be allowing us to descend into hell for a period of time first and then eventually bring us to a point of, do you want the light? You know, so, but either way, it's being used to propel us in a more positive direction. Yeah, actually, two episodes ago, which was number 46, I interviewed Kathy McDaniel. Have you heard of her? She wrote a book about her NDE experience. I haven't heard of her. Yeah, so she has what she termed a distressing near-death experience. Do you talk about that in your book? I mean, you're kind of talking about it right now because of the purgatory experience, which is what she had when she was actually induced into a coma because of pneumonia. I do talk about a couple, I mean, some hellish NDEs in my book. And a lot of times you'll see that the the hellish ones will turn positive before it closes out, you know. But there are some other NDEs where it was all hellish and then it came back, you Mm -hmm. know. But like even like Howard Storm, who was an atheist, he died and went into a dark realm and there was beings there. And at first they were very kind and sweet. And then they sort of became nasty and started to attack him. And he had the thought, we'll call out to Jesus. And he did. And then the light broke and the experience was heavenly. And it's actually kind of similar to Ian McCormick, who sort of, it started off hellish and then the light broke and he went into to a more heavenly NDE. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it starts off distressing or hellish and hell for most people, it seems like in the NDEs is more of a dark realm uh, than fire and brimstone. There have been a few NDEs I've seen where they kind of have the traditional fire and brimstone and there's lots of demons there but most of them it seems like it's more about a darkness more about a emptiness or a a separation from the light than anything else yeah do you think that people who have those kind of distressing NDEs it's according to their belief system like what they might expect to happen or see if they were to die? Yeah, and um, Mel and Thomas Benedict talked about, he was told about the feedback loop to where to some extent you experience what you expect to experience, mm-hmm. um, which isn't always the case, but it can. It can color what you experience. And sometimes what'll happen is you'll be experiencing what you expect but over time you'll start to realize oh well maybe this this isn't exactly correct and then you'll start to get more light and 
move forward. But yeah, I mean, it, it can color your experience for sure. And there have been a few people um, that have had distressing NDEs and I don't, there's not always an apparent reason as to why. They don't seem like they were an especially bad person or anything like that. I mean, sometimes you'll hear an NDE where, you know, a guy was uh, a, a criminal and a robber and violent and all that. And it's like, okay, well, I understand why you had a, a dark NDE, but sometimes you just see an average person doesn't seem too bad. And it's like, well, why were they in darkness? Um, well, I know NDE? with Kathy's And I don't really know why. Um, she was able to reflect a lot on what she saw and happened. And she said everything that she saw and happened had to do with something she experienced while she was alive. But how she got out of it is she started um, singing a song away in the major. And once she got through part of the song, she got sucked out of that negative experience into the light basically so exactly what you said like she ended it with being pulled out of there and and into the light it just it's interesting to me that I wonder if for those people if they stay there because they don't ask for help you know because it seems like the minute you ask Jesus or an angel or something for help you get pulled out of it Yeah, it seems like it does tend to happen that way. And I know another NDEer said that we can pray for people on the other side, which I guess is kind of similar to what uh, Catholics and maybe some other Christians believe, where like you pray for people that are in purgatory and maybe it'll sort of help them get out quicker. It's conceptually kind of like that. So I guess we can pray to help people on the other side and they can call out and receive help. And I, for some reason, I think I remember hearing a testimony of an indie ear where she started singing a Christmas song yeah. and then was taken out. Did she die around Christmas time? I don't think so, but she started singing away in the manger. Um, I'm not sure if that's considered a Christmas song or not, but um, the ladies that were with her at the time and the experience started saying it with her. And she said the dark spirit there tried to jump on her went, and then she got pulled out of it. And all of a sudden she was like in the, in the light. So it was very, very interesting. And your second book is about meditation and, and, Tell us a little bit about the meditation book. It's called Meditation for Everyone. Yeah, I started getting into meditation in 2005. And um, it was in 2008. I kind of went through a low point where I got into a lot of depression. And then I started to rely on meditation more to help me get through that. Cause I think the first three years I was kind of sporadic in my meditation. I didn't meditate every day and I meditated usually about 20 minutes 
and it was kind of here and there. But I noticed as I meditated more regularly, consistently, and then I started to up it to about 30 minutes, I started to get better results. And I could get both short-term results in terms of if you felt depressed, you could get some relief. But then long-term, as you start to meditate consistently, you you don't get to, as depressed to begin with. It sort of works to prevent depression from occurring in the future. So there's both short-term and long-term results that can happen with meditation. And I just go into different principles of meditation. Like I have a chapter on stillness and on a chapter on mindfulness and a chapter on uh, positive affirmations, using those as sort of the basis of meditation. And um, I get into issues like, uh, you know, timing and setting a priority for meditation. And there's a chapter on the various benefits of meditation. Um, Because I want to show that meditation is accessible to everyone. And uh, because meditation can help with chronic pain, can help with conditions like ADD, ADHD. Um, It can help with uh, depression and even to the point of uh, conditions like post-traumatic stress disorder they've used it for. So there's a lot of benefits for meditation. And I kind of wrote it in a way that wasn't really sectarian that anybody could pick up and use because I do believe meditation has benefits both from a mental health perspective and from a social health perspective that it can help you have better relationships and help those around you. I, I do think there's a third element where it can help you in terms of a spiritual practice um, and can help you that way but even if a person is an atheist or not religious they can still receive benefit from meditation both in terms of mental and social health mm-hmm. and so i have a question used, oh go ahead i use Jay. the fruits of the spirit okay okay yeah i was going to say i did use the fruits of the spirit as sort of a template for things you could affirm. Um, But those are kind of the values like every religion would affirm as good. And I think most people that aren't religious would say those are good things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are things everybody would believe in. So I use that as a template for affirming things while you meditate. But what were you going to say? Oh, I had a question about your father. Did you have any more dreams about him? Um, I've had a a couple dreams here and there where I thought he was present and I have a lot of dreams that are just regular dreams. I know I had a dream about my grandparents too. That was a visitation dream. It was probably a week before my son was born. And it, it was like the one with my father that I knew they had passed and I knew I was in a dream, but it felt as real as when you're awake and I, I was in my parents' house in Utah, because I, I remember that, and I was like, why are they here, you know, because I could see them, and they were waving, and and then I went over and talked to them for a few minutes, and I just remember feeling uh, such a love for them, and 
my grandparents at that point had passed away like uh, 25 and 30 years ago. So it was like, and I, I hadn't had a lot of dreams about them or anything. I hadn't really even thought too much about them. So it was just kind of out of the blue, boom, they were there. And I kind of think it was like to tell me, you know, that my son was going to come and that it was a good thing and things like that. And so that was another visitation dream I had. And okay. I kind of think... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. We have a bit of delay between him speaking yeah, and I, I'm I speaking, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was saying, I kind of think there's some kind of connection between my dad and my son that, because at the end of the dream, they they panned over and my dad was there reading the newspaper like he used to do. And he was in his robe and had the, the couch reclined, you know, and, and then it looked like that. Because I, I kind of felt like there was some kind of connection between my dad sending Timmy to me, you know, and it's difficult to totally explain what it is. And, you know, is it, is it him or was he sent by my dad? People might have different interpretations as to what that means, but there's like a connection there. Yeah. And I think that dream kind of affirmed it to me. Yeah. I think on your, your I do remember my dad, Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I was going to say, close in time to when I had my first visitation dream, my dad said something like, we would be together in three and a half years. And then my son was born three and a half years later. So I don't know if that was something connected with him that he sent to me, you know, but that's what happened. Yeah, I think uh, it's possible that the soul of your son was with your grandparents and your dad before he was born to you. So they already knew him. They knew he was coming. Because mm -hmm. I had a similar dream with my father before I was even thinking about having children. And he passed away in 1991. And I had a dream, it was before 2006, where he came to me and he said, you're going to have a little girl. And that's all he said. So I knew that when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I knew she was a girl because he told me it was going to be a girl. Well, Jay, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Can you share with the listeners yeah, how to get cool. how to get a copy of your book and your books? Yeah, my books are available on Amazon, and uh, that's where you can where you can purchase them the easiest. And I'm also on. Uh, Facebook. I have uh, a couple groups. I have Meditation for Everyone 
group and then i also have the bible and the near-death experience group on facebook so they can join the group if they want and have more discussions with me okay well all that information is going to be in the show notes and thank you very much jay for being on the show yeah thanks for having me Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience. Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E.